Thank you so much, Elder Waon, for leading us in our service. Thank you so much, Pastor Kenneth and team, for singing with all your hearts. I could see the delight on your faces. It flows from the delight of your hearts, we pray. Thank you all for joining us in our services. And we pray that in and through our services, where the Word of God is preached, where Jesus is exalted, your life will indeed be changed, always for the better. And so we want to explore the whole thing about opinions. That having opinions, giving opinions, and having views are important. And we go from light-hearted opinions to perhaps more serious one in life. So for tennis fans, do you think that Nadal will actually end up winning the Australian Open and being the first man in tennis history to, to win 21 Grand Slams? Only the tennis fans can answer this. For the soccer fans or the football fans, do you think that one day Manchester United will become great again? Don't answer. Some people here are putting up their hands. They are hopeless optimists. I mean, they are optimistic. And so we go to more serious things. Um, what views do you have of COVID-19? Do you think it might, how long do you think it might last? Do you think this is the landing place, Omicron and this variant? Or could there be something worse off? Some people think that 2022 is the ending of this pandemic. Some say it is three years' time. And some say a worse-off variant may come. And you and me hold our faces up in our hands and say, Oh no, there could be a super bug worse, bigger than this. What's your opinion? What's your opinion about Jesus? This is the important thing. Is he the Son of God? Or could he possibly be, as we just read in our Bible record, could he possibly be the devil? And does it matter what opinions you have of Jesus? Let's listen to this. The program is a current affairs program called Q&A, really popular in Australia, where they debate contemporary issues. And of course, in this particular episode, Christianity... Jesus, God, comes out for debate. And one of the key speakers here on the panel is Richard Dawkins, who is opposed to Christianity. Take a listen to this. A brief response from Richard Dawkins. The New Testament. You believe, if you believe in the New Testament, that God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, couldn't think of a better way to forgive humanity's sins than to have himself put on earth, tortured and executed in atonement for the sins of humanity. What kind of a horrible, depraved notion is that? <laughs> you know, can I, can I just say one thing? Yeah. You know what disturbs me about this debate, and that is that people should respect other people's views. Now, now well, I'm going to jump in here because is that not a story of sacrifice, and uh, and therefore something admirable has, has something admirable attached to it, which is the opposite of what you suggested. Do you think it's admirable? Yes. Yeah. You think it's admirable that God actually had Himself tortured for the sins of humanity? That is the Christian view, obviously. That is the Christian view. If you think that's admirable, you can keep it. <laughs> so just in case you didn't get the gist of that, I repeat. 
the New Testament believes, any of you believe in the New Testament, that God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, couldn't think of a better way to forgive humanity's sin than to come to earth, be tortured and executed. What kind of horrible, depraved notion is that? And then the host jumps in, right, to this whole debate. Isn't that a story of sacrifice? Isn't that admirable? And Richard Dawkins' um, retort is simply this. If you think that, if you think that being tortured and executed is admirable, you can keep it. You can keep it. Essentially, at the heart of that argument, which is really popular in atheism in the West, secularism in the West, this whole God and His Son, Jesus business, this whole God and Jesus and the cross business is ridiculous. It's irrational. And you should totally reject it. Only people who have lost their mind believe in such a God. Which tells you that the rejection of God, the rejection of God's gift to us in Jesus, is not new. In the Bible passage that we just read, in Mark chapter 3, verse 32, 22, it says this, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. So it would seem that nothing God does, and nothing God does even in Jesus, should I believe in, should you believe in. If Mark chapter 1 and 2 that we've been studying, reading together as God's people here at Adam Road Presbyterian Church, the main thing being revealed is Jesus' unparalleled authority. Authority to call people to drop their nets, to leave their professions, to leave their parents and to follow Him. Authority to forgive sins. Authority to heal diseases. Authority to cast out demons. Authority that you and I will never have. Then from chapter 3 onwards, the presentation are the different responses to Jesus, who is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the different responses of God's people Israel to Him. And, Jesus, and Mark, who collates all these episodes, is presenting that there is increasing, increasing opposition to Jesus. And so we pick it up here. And one way to understand this whole portion is this. Have we showed you this? At the heart of it is this opinion. Who is Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Or is he by now in chapter 3, verse 22, in the opinions of the scribes from Jerusalem, the devil himself? And our opinion matters, not simply of sports, of tennis, of soccer, of food, of fashion, or even this pandemic. Our opinion of Jesus is the most important opinion because it decides and dictates not just your life on earth, but your eternal and my eternal destiny. So one way to understand this portion that is here is this. Opinions matter. Next slide. 
in chapter 3, verse 7 to 12, is the crowd's opinion. And then in chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, is the family's opinion. And then there's the leader's opinion. And finally, it is Jesus' opinion that is shown in two ways. His choosing and calling of His 12 disciples, and then His calling of the new family of God out of all Israel. And so are you ready to listen to this? Because as I said earlier, as a spokesman from God, as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, your opinion about many things may matter temporarily. But your opinion and my opinion of Jesus matters for all eternity. So I would pray that you would listen to this with some humility and total gravity. Seriousness to this. And so it begins with, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. It's so huge, it looks like a sea. And a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre, Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd, the repetition, heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And, when, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. What is it we need to understand? What is it we need to understand is firstly, the locality or the geography of it. We might read our Bibles and think what's important about looking at the geography. And, and, and so it's important as you read, Edomia is actually to the south of Galilee. Beyond the Jordan is actually to the east. Tyre and Sidon are actually to the north. So what do you think Mark is saying of Jesus? By this time, Jesus' popularity was the people, the crowds were coming from all over the place. I do not know. Are you popular? Don't answer that. How many people follow you on Twitter? How many people follow you on, on Facebook? How many people follow you on Instagram? How many people follow you on social media? I do not know. You could be really popular. You could be a social influencer. Do they come from the north, south, east and west? That every corner of the world is following you? Very few in Singapore have that. Here is Jesus. If he was in social media, it would say his popularity was viral. And it's so many likes at this moment. And you ask yourself, what's wrong with that? Jesus is growing in popularity. And so... What was the size of this popularity? He was so concerned in verse 9, and he says this, as he gets increasingly popular, can you picture this? Like, like dramatization of these verses. The crowds press in on him, and he says to the disciples, get the boat, get the boat, get the boat. What kind of Messiah is this? Instead of walking towards the crowd, he walks away from the crowd because he knows about crowd behavior. When crowds become unruly, they could trample you to death. The important thing to take note is to ask the question, why get the boat? What's the reason for the boat? 
Is it because Jesus needed some time for privacy? Or was getting the boat in terms of his own protection, as we see here, that the crowds could be fickle and they could be pressing in on him, heal us, heal us, if only we can touch him, if only we can touch him, and hundreds of people wanting to touch him at one go? That's dangerous. Or could it be if it's not privacy, if it's not his protection, could it be his priority? I do not want to be known mainly as healer and exorciser, deliverer from demons, because that has been hinted at in chapters 1 and 2, when the crowds press in on him in chapter 1, he woke up early in the morning to pray to God. His disciples came looking for him in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 onwards. And instead of saying, let's go back and heal the crowd, say, let's go to the next towns and villages. Jesus' highest pro pri priority was to preach the kingdom of God and his God's chosen king, the Messiah, to usher in this kingdom. And so it's very important to get this right at this moment. Get what right? To get this right, that Jesus' popularity had little or nothing to do with his authority to usher in the kingdom of God. From the crowd's point of view, his popularity was because he was a miracle worker. And that's important to note that Jesus' main mission sent by His Heavenly Father for us, beginning with Israel, His people, was not mainly or solely to heal us from diseases. And so you could say that the crowd's opinion of Jesus is this. The crowd's opinion of Jesus is what we call beneficial belief. It's what we call self-interested faith. What on earth is beneficial belief and self-interested faith? Right? So firstly, on a personal level, I'm sick, or I've got sick relatives, heal me. Or I'm possessed, deliver me. That's on a personal level. Understandable, but it can't be the main reason to believe in Jesus. And then they not just had personal needs and expectations, they had national needs and expectations. We are enslaved Israelites. We are conquered by the Romans. We have lived under colonial rule for so long. We need a deliverer from Roman rule. Whether it's personal or whether it's national, they suffer the same problem. What is it that God can do for me? So the focus of Jesus to the crowds was what? could he do for them? We call this beneficial belief. We call this self-interested faith. They do not believe Jesus for who he is and what he's come to do for God. So it's an important thing to work out, right? When you think Jesus, you think of self? You think Jesus and you think of God. Of course, we might begin from the human horizontal level. When I think Jesus, I think of my sickness, I think of my needs, I think of my protection, I, need, I think of my provision. It's not wrong to a certain degree, but it's wrong in the ultimate degree. And so we need to ask ourselves, what about you? What about you? Because in the end, if we believe in Jesus, 
superficially and for ourselves, in the end, as he goes to the cross, we will reject him deeply and fully because he did not come for this temporary healing of our bodies. He did not come simply to solve our problems. So is your need of Jesus, is your belief in Jesus beneficial? Self-interested? That's a question you and I need to answer. So that was the crowd's opinion of him. But there's a huge thing that's here, remember? What is that? Son of God, he's acknowledged by the unclean spirit. Son of God in Mark's gospel appears at key points. In chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is revealed right, by, by Mark himself as Son of God. And then in chapter 1, 11, the voice of God confirms that he's the Son of God, beloved by God. At the same time, he's the suffering servant. Psalm 2, verse 7, and Isaiah 42, verse 1. He's acknowledged by the demons in chapter 3, verse 11, and chapter 5, verse 7. And then Jesus reveals himself as the Son of God to his inner circle in chapter 40, 14, verse 61. And then finally, as Jesus hangs on the cross, it's not an Israelite, it's not the religious establishment, it's not God's people who recognize him as the Son of God. It's a Gentile centurion. And why is this important for us to note? Why does Jesus silence the demons and hear the unclean spirit? Because demons and unclean spirits are fake witnesses to Jesus. They are unsuitable witnesses to Jesus. Why? Yes, they make a factual statement. Jesus is the Son of God. But they make the factual statement from evil intent. And why evil intent? So that Jesus will be misunderstood and followed for the wrong reasons and if he can be misunderstood and followed for the wrong reasons, the crowd will never believe in him as someone who came from God to forgive us of our sins, to take away God's wrath, to set us free from Satan, to cancel God's punishment of death upon us. We will miss the true identity and the mission of Jesus. That is why Jesus shuts up the demon's fake witness to him. The title is right, but the motive and the reason for them saying, Son of God, Son of God, is totally malicious. It is untimely. It's not for the full revelation of Jesus yet. And some people call this the messianic secret, that Jesus chooses the time and the timeliness to reveal himself progressively and then fully the cross. And that's the important thing about why he shuts the demons up about his true identity. So if that is the crowd's response, what's the family's opinion about Jesus? The family's opinion about Jesus, then he went home, not to Nazareth, but to a headquarters, his headquarters in Galilee, in all likelihood Simon's mother-in-law's place, and the crowd gathered, so they could not even eat. So crowds there, 
and crowds here. Have you ever been so busy that you could not eat, that you had no time to eat? So I popped back into a polyclinic some years ago. And as I went into the polyclinic, one of our church members was a doctor there. And so I asked her how busy is today. She said, normal day, normal day. I did not know, was she going to see 30 patients in a day, 40 patients? And I could see her, her lunch on the table. And in between patients, this was called pre-COVID, just enough time to get a bite, just enough time to get a bite because it's just unending, unending. You multiply that many times over and you're beginning to understand the human needs pressing upon Jesus. When his family heard, heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Ask the dangerous question, has your family gone out to seize you? Has your family ever, ever opined, come to, the, come to the conclusion that you're out of your mind, if there's no medical reason for it? And so important to understand the backdrop to this. By family, by Mark chapter 6, verse 3, the family includes his mother and James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his two sisters. Take charge of Jesus means to seize and to take control of him, physically seize him. Has anybody escorted you out? I can remember a few times being escorted out. Years and years ago as a young man, my brother who set up a business in, in Kuala Lumpur brought me to one of the premier clubs that he belonged to. And as he brought me to the club, I walked in the way I was dressed. I was a teenager and walking with my white shoes. As I walked into the club, the, the club personnel staff came up to me and said, sorry, sir, uh, we don't allow people with, with canvas shoes and white shoes here, only leather shoes. And so they escorted me out of the club. It's slightly humiliating, right? For me, it was just slightly embarrassing. You say, ah, it's okay, lah, this fuddy-duddy clubs. Has your family ever come to seize you? Take control of you? He's out of his mind. The Greek word is exeste, which means he's no longer rational. He's gone mad. He's gone mad. Really real things about it. Has your family done this to you? He's out of his mind. And how did it come to this conclusion, this opinion about him? It could be a few things. It could have been Jesus' activities that he was doing too much exorcism, too much healing. It could be the controversies that he was having with the Pharisees and then the Herodians who had now plotted to kill him. And that's a turning point in chapter 3, verse 6. Or it could be his popularity with the crowds and you add his unending activities, his unend his increasing controversies, and then his growing popularity was gone. Maybe all this was getting to him and getting to his head. And as Jesus was now out of whack, he was bringing shame to his family. So could we summarize it this way? The crowd's opinion of him is Jesus, he's out of this world. There is nothing he cannot do. He has this wonderful authority to heal diseases, wonderful authority to cast out demons. The family's opinion is, no, he's not out of this. He's not out of this world. He's out of his mind. He's out of this mind. And so, and why out of his mind? Because didn't we grow up with Jesus? Didn't we see him as a young boy? Didn't we see him as a teenager? Don't I know this Jesus fellow? It can't be, right? 
all the things he's doing, all the things he's saying, all the things he's preaching, and all the things he's signposting, for the crowds, he's so wonderful, he meets all their needs. For the family, it's, he's so weird. What has become of Jesus? What has become of Jesus? Our brother, is he out of his mind? And then comes the teachers. Up to this point, all who had been sent to examine Jesus, or they came, or their own court, were local religious leaders. But this time, his reputation had reached Jerusalem, the religious headquarters, and the teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem said, staggering statement, the first time they encountered Jesus, he is possessed by Beelzebub. But the prince of demons is driving out demons. And so, in case you do not know Beelzebub, by now the popular belief Beelzebub came from the Old Testament background. It is Jesus who now turns it around and gives it, what is it you are really saying about me? What's your view of me? What's your opinion of me? Jesus is saying, verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. They say he's possessed by Beelzebub. And the Israelites would know that Beelzebub was Baal, right? King of all the idols. And Jesus says, for him, your accusation of me amounts to you calling me Satan. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against its, itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. What's at the heart of this encounter? Please take note of a few things that is here. The few things that are here are vitally important. The leaders come from Jerusalem. They would be the most high-powered, the most well-educated, and in Jewish society, the most respected. Whatever they say as compared to the local religious leaders carried more weight. Notice they are smart enough, cunning enough to do what? They are smart enough and cunning enough not to question the factuality, the actuality, the phenomena of what Jesus was doing. There is no doubts. Factually, he is healing diseases. Actually, he is dispossessing people of, of demons. So we can't be foolish now to question the factuality of that. So we can't question the factuality. Let's question his authenticity. Where is he getting this authority from? Who is he in partnership with? Oh, he must be in partnership with Beelzebub. Oh, we don't question his authority, but we question his association, his joint venture. His partner is none less than Satan. You couldn't get more cunning than that. So Satan's cunning is, you can't deny the factuality. You question his authenticity, the source of his power, and authority. And that's very important, friends. So what does all this amount to? 
All this amounts to, for the crowds is out of this world. There's nothing he cannot do for us humanly, horizontally. For the family is out of his mind. For the scribes, he's totally out of line with our religion. He's totally out of line with our Judaism. Because in chapter 2, incident after incident was, they now test him up. Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? If he heals on the Sabbath, it will prove that he is a lawbreaker. And if a man says he's from God, but he's a Sabbath breaker, he's a lawbreaker, he can't be a man from God, he can't be a man of God. So he's out of line with authentic, original, hand-me-down Judaism. He's actually in line, in cahoots with Satan. And so Jesus faces all this. And each one of them carries the same DNA. What is the same DNA? The same DNA is actually beneficial belief for the crowds. It's beneficial unbelief for the religious leaders because Jesus' growing popularity, Jesus' unparalleled authority was a danger, a threat to them. Some of us will reject Jesus because He's a threat to your idea of life. He's a threat to your God-given idea, to, to your ideas of God, to your ideas of theology. He's a threat to your role and your rank. Is that why you're rejecting Jesus? He's a threat. So I would rather not believe and maybe like a Richard Dawkins create a world in which I'm comfortable that with our own wisdom, we can build a better world? Is Jesus a threat to you as he tells you to stop your pornography? Is Jesus a threat to you as he tells you to give up on the boyfriend or girlfriend you shouldn't be having? Is Jesus a threat to you because you have now found your charm life and you accomplish the goal of your charm life without him? We call that beneficial unbelief. But notice whether it's the crowd's beneficial belief or the leader's beneficial unbelief, it was all about themselves. It wasn't focused on the true identity and the true mission of Jesus sent by God. I say again, here's the corrective. From this point onwards, after you hear this sermon, when you think Jesus, don't think yourself. When you think Jesus, think, has he come from God? Is he the son of God? Has he come to save me from Satan or could he be Satan himself? There are very important things for us to work out here. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. But whatever blasphemies the utter, and whatever blasphemies the utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but, it is, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So what's on view here? What's on view here is very important. It's utterly serious, completely serious, not to see God at work in Jesus 
and to attribute the work of Jesus to Satan or to something or someone else. It's utterly serious to call Jesus the devil or something else apart from the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. It's completely serious to not rejoice in God's work and this extension. And how is God working in us and through us? How is Jesus continuing His work after His death and resurrection? It's utterly serious not to rejoice in God's work in and through ARPC, a local church. And to explain it away as some other phenomena. And this is blindsided belief, or should we say, blindsided unbelief. We will hang on to our belief in God, but not believe that Jesus has come from God, let alone that He is the Son of God. And so that is why Jesus rejects all Israel. All Israel represented by the crowds, all Israel represented by his own natural biological family, all Israel represented by the religious establishment. None of them respond to him rightly. He now calls the new Israel, and he calls the new Israel in this way. Verse 31, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive. Did you notice this whole account about the, his biological family is like a sandwich at the top and the bottom, and then is the religious leaders' opinions about Jesus, and they call him Satan. And they send someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does God's will is my brother, and he adds a new thing, my sister and my mother. So to summarize the main trust on Mark 3, it is this. Mark 3, Jesus moves from the old family of God that was now so blind. You would think if they are the children of God, right? When God finally turns up, he sends either his prophet or his Messiah, they will recognize Gakinangon in Hokkien. We are own people. I surely will recognize my own people. You know, for us Singaporeans, you'll know a Singaporean overseas. You know why? Because the moment you hear Singlish, that's a Singaporean. Right? You can recognize your own. Americans can recognize Americans all over the world. You will hear them a million miles away. They are loud. An African will recognize the Africans. Singaporeans, God's people cannot recognize God when He turns up in the flesh. In His Son, the Word becomes flesh. And so He calls a new family. And the calling of the new family begins with the calling of the disciples. And to the disciples, He gives two things. The key word there, did you notice? Let me read that for you in chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that two reasons, here's a good definition of discipleship, they might be with him. The first definition of discipleship is so that you might be with Jesus and Jesus be with you. 
that you sit under His feet and you take your instructions and your life is going to be totally different because of the presence of Jesus ruling over you. This is a new family of God. And he, that, that He might send them out, He has said this before, to preach. The highest priority if you believe in King Jesus is to preach the kingdom of God. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then for them specifically at that time was to go and emulate and duplicate Jesus' authority to cast out demons and to heal. And so he calls this new family and by now, by the time it ends in verse 34 and 35, his new family is defined by for the Israelites, oh, we are children of God because Abraham is our father. We are children of God because Moses gave us the law. We are children of God because we do good works. And Jesus says, no, the new definition is you are children of God if you do God's will. And you do God's will if you keep hearing God's good news is Jesus. You hear this with all your heart. You make this effort to hear that the good news that Jesus is the King ushering the kingdom of God. You believe in Jesus as God's King with all your heart and at all costs. And then you obey Jesus by following Him with all your heart at all costs. And up to this point, who had Jesus ministered to? A whole lot of them. Paralytic, the leper, the tax collector, all the, all the people in Jewish society who will never make it to the queue to the kingdom of heaven. This is who Jesus invites. And they are making the effort to hear with all their heart, to believe in Jesus and to obey Him by following Him so that He might be with them and they with Him. And so a new definition of family. How is your hearing? How is your believing? And how is your obeying and your following of Jesus in day-to-day -day living? Are you in God's family? Because you are born into a Christian family, your second generation, your third generation, that doesn't mean you're in God's family. If you don't believe in Jesus for yourself. Are you doing God's will? What's your opinion of Jesus? So, chance upon this life story of Bethany Hamilton. You heard of her? She's a surfer, grew up in Hawaii. At three years old, she learned how to surf. At eight years old, she, she uh, entered competitive surfing. And then at 13 years old, while she was out there surfing, she was attacked by a tiger shark. A tiger shark that was 14 feet, which is about 4.3 meters. And she was drawn into the water, and with one bite, she lost her left arm. She was rescued. But by the time she was rescued, she had lost about 60% of blood in her body. And she was dying from that. But by God's grace, her life was preserved. Her family is a devoted Christian family. Bethany herself was a devoted believer in Jesus from young and carried on. 
So you watch the thing, you know what she says in the hospital bed? That all this has happened because of Jesus' sovereignty over her life. And Jesus is going to be glorified even with her life. She lost her arm. Barely four weeks later, she gets back on the surfboard. And she learns. You know what that surfing is? Not that I know, but I've seen quite a lot of it in Australia where I studied for many years. She had to learn with, to pedal with one arm. You had to pedal out to a wave. And the waves can be 10 metres high or 20 metres high. Right? You pedal out with one arm. Before you can reach that wave, you're knocked back. She learned to do that. And barely three months after that, after losing her arm, she entered competition. But what struck me was, she went on right, to get married and then to have a baby. Then three weeks after she has the baby, they invite her right, because of her sterling record to take part in this competition, one of their top competitions for top surfers in the world. And there she is nursing a young baby. And she goes out to this. The waves are 10, 20 meters high. She goes out, does this, right? And in between those races, she comes back and breastfeeds the baby. And then she goes out again. Because you have the heats, then you have the quarterfinals, then you have the semifinals. And every competition, she didn't win that one, she won the silver. At everything that she gets an award, she stands there and says, Jesus gave me all the strength to do this. Jesus purposed me for this. And a sure inspiration everywhere. That's just one believer hearing Jesus with all her heart, believing Jesus with all her heart, Obeying Jesus with all her heart, this lost arm is not going to disarm me from the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. What about you and me? Your life and my life may not be as dramatic as, as that. But you know what? If you're a young couple with a young baby or two young children, they cried through the night, you hardly got sleep. And you know that God has given you this child to raise. You prayed for this child throughout your whole pregnancy. The child has come into your world and though you're dead tired, you're still praying for this child, you're singing scriptures to this child, you're, you're beginning to give your young kids the word of God and you're wondering, you're paddling against your tiredness. But you do it because you believe that God brought you together in marriage to raise a godly family. You're paddling against your tiredness. You're paddling against the tide. You do sit there a bit numb as a mother, as a father. Is this making any impact on my kids? Is this making any impact on my kids? Yes, it is. You're hearing Jesus at all costs. You're believing Jesus at all costs. You're choosing to obey Him at all costs and follow Him. That parenting with the presence of Jesus makes all the difference. Or you could be living with someone who is terminally ill, beginning with your grandparents or your parents or your spouses. And as they waste away from this illness, though you pray with all your heart, you know the end is nigh, that the miracle of healing is not going to come. 
And every time you go to the doctor, you come back, the treatment's not working. But you still open the scriptures, you still read of God's love. You still read that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. You still read that He's Alpha and Omega. You still believe that He came back from the dead. And you read that and believe that with a broken heart and with tears. What on earth are you doing? You're doing HBO. You're hearing it with all your heart. You're believing with all your heart. You're choosing to obey Him and to follow Him. Though nothing looks hopeful for this world, for this life, you are going to lose dad. You are going to lose mom. You are going to lose your spouse. But you hear, you listen. And you may be single. You know how hard it is to live with celibacy? You know how hard it is to live with purity in this world drowning with sexual images on social media and everywhere? But you're called to believe in Jesus, to believe that your singleness, that celibacy and purity in singleness is possible. Just look at Jesus. But then you say to yourself, in your moment of weakness, I'm not Jesus. He is Jesus. As my brother in Christ said to me, follow Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> then I pray for him. I read scripture with him. He can last one more day as a single. He got through the night. He didn't go out to a red light area. Three months later, he's still living that celebrate life. What's happening to this brother? He's hearing with all his heart. He's believing with all his heart. He's obeying with all his heart. Though everything in his male hormones say this is not possible. It's not possible. It's divinely possible. Because Jesus is who He is. So we end by asking, what's your opinion about Jesus? And your opinions about Jesus and my opinions about Jesus cannot be cheap. I give an opinion about when COVID-19 will end. I think maybe this year, it might be next year. You give the opinion, nothing's going to happen, whether it comes true or not. But what opinion you give about Jesus matters. It matters a whole lot. And if the evidence is clear that this man called Jesus, God is at work in him, but we keep rejecting him. It's a serious business to reject God's work in Jesus. That is the sin and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's main work is to keep leading us and pointing us to believe in Jesus. And so, you can watch Q&A, you can watch whoever you want to watch, you can listen to the great atheists of this world, but I highly commend that you don't follow them. Because in the end, all the Dawkins and Hawkins of this world are not going to come and save you from sin and death. It's just an opinion floating out there with no repercussions with God. Believe in Jesus and life will be different. For every single one, Bethany Hamilton doing this and every time she gets to the podium, Nothing can I boast in but Jesus. For the young couple 
feeding that child, raising children against all odds. I keep telling my children about Jesus. I don't know whether it's making any sense. Nothing can I boast in but Jesus. For you looking at a loved one waste away, everything tells me it's looking a bit hopeless, but nothing can I trust in and boast in but Jesus. If you're single, nothing can I boast in and trust in but Jesus. I say to you with all my heart that I found Jesus to be totally trustworthy and I pray and plead that you believe in him too. If you want to, you may want to stand and pray. You may want to kneel and pray if you're watching this at home. But here in church, we stand, we pray. Forgive us when we are so prone to offer our cheap opinions of who you are, of who your son is, or what his life means, or what the cross means, or what the, his death means. And we offer it without really searching our hearts, without really reading your word. Almighty God, thank you for being so patient and kind to us. And by your grace, by your spirit, speak the gospel word to us that we might not just give you our cheap opinions and our passing views of who your son is. May your word and your spirit lead us to proclaim and to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And may you empower us to hear with all our hearts, to believe with all our hearts, and to obey and to follow Jesus with all our hearts. And we ask this, to fulfill your mission that you may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen.